Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Wit and Reason, hosted by psychologist Dr. Alexis Moreno. Dr. Moreno brings her expertise to providing smart and practical explanations on human behavior regarding today's ever-evolving life and culture, turning social science and research into relatable, accessible, and useful information you can use. Listen now as Dr. Moreno brings a little bit of positive mental health to your day. Welcome to the Wit and Reason show. I'm Dr. Alexis Moreno, and today we have a very special episode for you. We're going to do a speed round of random questions from our questions reel. So I have in the studio our sound engineer, Jess Sturgis, and she's going to be helping me spin that wheel and pull up some random questions from our community members to answer. We actually get a bunch of different types of questions from people for the show, and we have so many that we figured we'll just put it all into one episode and kind of mix it up a bit. So we're going to be answering a bunch of just different questions all at random. You're going to put me on the spot and see what kind of answers you could get to those questions from a psychological perspective. Now, before we get into that, I wanted to help people better understand what a psychologist does and what kind of training and knowledge set they have in order to be a psychologist. So first of all, when I tell people I'm a psychologist, they typically go to the whole Freudian, you know, you have people sit, lay down on a couch and just talk to you about their uh, issues with their mom, right? Uh, psychology has advanced uh, since then, and we actually do a whole lot of different things. So in order to be a psychologist, you need to understand uh, assessment and diagnosis. So 
psychometric theory, assessment theories, models and methods, assessment methods for individuals, couples, families, groups, organizations, so like companies, um, different di differential diagnosis and classification systems, and what causes all of these different types of behavioral disorders. So as a psychologist, you also have to understand the biological basis of behavior. So biological neural basis of behavior. We, we need to know about psychopharmacology, behavioral genetics, brain imaging, um, genetic screening techniques, and all kinds of other methodologies. Other things that your psychologist knows about is cognitive affective basis for behavior. So meaning the elements of cognition or the way that people think major theories and empirical research related to learning, memory, motivation, and emotion, and the influence of psychosocial factors. Your psychologist also knows ethical, legal, and professional issues, according to the American Psychological Association's Ethics Code, or if you're in Canada, the Canadian Code of Conduct, other professional standards and guidelines. We know about relevant legal statutes, laws, ethics, decision-making process, models of professional development and ethical issues in research and in supervision. Your psychologist also knows about the growth and lifespan development of human beings, research methods and statistics, those were tough, social and cultural basis for behavior as well. So I mentioned like the cognitive piece of things, but we also know about like not just an individual person in the way they're thinking, but also how their environment and their society and culture impacts that. So we're learned, we know about the inter-intrapersonal and inter-intragroup processes of um, and dynamics, theories of personality and issues related to diversity. Your psychologist will also know about treatment, intervention, prevention, and supervision for individuals, couples, families, group, companies and community interventions. So to do an intervention for a whole neighborhood, your psychologist will know how to do that. So when you're thinking about a psychologist, they're going to know everything that's involved in the, the way a person thinks, feels, behaves. And even if you have multiple people all together as a group or as an organization, your psychologist is going to know how to work with that. Uh, Differences between a psychologist and a psychiatrist is that a psychiatrist um, has medical training, so they may follow more of a medical model, and they'll be the person that you'd want to go to for understanding um, taking medication for anything that you're experiencing. And of course, you have your medical doctors. Um, some people even prefer using coaches that will be more solution-focused um, in the here and now and focusing on very specific goals. And together, your psychologist with all of these other health professionals can definitely work as a treatment team to help you through things. But a psychologist can definitely cover a wide variety of things. And we're gonna demonstrate that today in our very fun speed round of random questions from our question wheel. So Jess, are you ready to spin this electronic wheel for us to pull up our first question? I am ready. Let's do it. All right. Thanks. How important is sex in a relationship? All right. So as I mentioned, psychologists handle all kinds of different things, including those relationship things. Um, so the question was, how important is sex in a relationship? And you know what? That's going to be a case-by-case -case situation. It really depends on the person. I, I get a lot of 
really straightforward, like direct questions from people of like, how many times should um, I want to be having sex or how many, how many times a week or a month is it normal to have sex with my partner? And really, I mean, it's going to be based on what works best for you and for your partner. So as far as how portent is sex in a relationship and, or the frequency, duration, style, all of that is going to be based on you and what you're into. The main things that you'll want to pay attention to are, of course, um, whether or not someone's feeling pressured to have sex. So if the question is how important is sex in a relationship, you'll want to think about, um, it depends. So you'll want to think about, is it important to you? Is it important to your partner? And how do you guys feel about talking about it? definitely want to do that. If you're engaging in a behavior, you want to be able to talk about um, that behavior within your relationship and then make sure that everyone's feeling comfortable. So if one person finds it more important than the other, then there's going to be something that the couple will have to work out together as far as finding out what's appropriate for each person in the relationship. And of course, that's where a psychologist could come into the picture and help you guys navigate that situation as far as like, let's say, there is some differences in someone finding sex more important or wanting it more or more frequently than another person. Um, then the psychologist can work with you guys in therapy to, to kind of hash that stuff out. All right, Jess, let's go to our next question. Okay, I'm going to spin the wheel. Yeah, uh, how are you going to handle if you don't have enough sleep? Because we have eight hours sleep, but sometimes people, because they work hard, uh, they have only two hours or three hours, and this is not enough to, uh, you know, to your body to have a good, you know, energy. energy. Yes. Thank you. Such a good question. And we've actually received a few questions about sleep, so we're probably going to have to bring someone in and just do a whole episode on sleep. But I'm, it's concerning because, I mean, medically speaking, we're supposed to be having, what, seven to nine hours of sleep as, as adults. And some people are getting, she mentioned, two hours of sleep at night. And the more research that comes out of this, the more we're understanding is that, man, if you're not getting an appropriate amount of sleep, seven to nine hours on a regular basis, and you're really lacking in that area, um, gosh, maybe not even having any hours of sleep whatsoever, you could see the same side effects of a person who isn't getting enough sleep as someone who has been drinking all night long. So the same kind of symptoms that you would, dangerous symptoms that you would see from someone who's like driving a vehicle after drinking. So like DUI, right? Those are the same type of struggles that you would see someone who's trying to perform while with a lack of sleep. So very serious uh, concern. I mean, there's really no way around it. We're, we're human beings, our bodies, our minds, um, they need certain things. They need food, they need water, uh, they need sleep, they need human connection. And that's just the reality of it. So to try to get around not getting that sleep, um, it's just really not going to work for a person for long term. So is different phases of life. We're going to have different challenges and demands associated with it, but you definitely want to try to 
get your seven to nine hours of sleep on a regular basis. And you know what? There is no um, binge sleeping, right? So there's there's no way of like missing out on sleep for a few months and then saying, well, I'm going to get it all back and sleep all day long for the next few weeks. That's not the way the body works. So it really is about having that that ritual and that pattern of getting seven to nine hours of sleep on a regular basis. Otherwise, your brain is just not going to be able to function the way you need it to. And it could lead to very dangerous results as far as like falling asleep at the wheel or um, if you operate heavy machinery at work, that's very dangerous. Um, or gosh, it could even just put you in a bad mood. So you, your brain won't be able to handle stressors the way it usually can when it's getting proper sleep. All right. So we're doing speed round. So let's go ahead and just spin that wheel. What's the question? So what is the best way to avoid stress and not get stressed? Wouldn't it be just so nice if we could just avoid stress altogether? The thing about stress is that it's just very much, again, part of who we are as human beings and living in this world and being on this journey called life. We are going to experience stressors that is going to cause a stress reaction in our body. Now, stress isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, there's a reason why it's there. We as human beings experience stress because that's our body letting us know, hey, there's something in this environment that's not okay, and I need to maybe shut down the bowels, right, and get the heart racing, get your your blood flowing just in case you need to fight or uh, fight, what is it, fight or flight, right? So there's a reason why our brains and our bodies um, experience a stress reaction. So no way to avoid it because that's just part of being a human being. Um, And again, having a stress reaction isn't necessarily a bad thing. In many cases, it can even just motivate us to do what we need to do. So you have a big exam coming up or a big deadline, that stress response is going to motivate you to just really focus in and and do what you need to do to get the job done. Um, Same thing if you're a first responder, you know, you might see a stressor and then your blood gets flowing and it's going to get your body up and the way it needs to in order to respond to that stressor. So stress isn't necessarily a bad thing. So you may not want to try to avoid at all costs because then you'll just be in a bubble for your whole life. Um, But there are different ways that you can train your mind and body to to respond to different stressors in your environment in a healthy way. You know, I mentioned first responders. They're going to be they're going to be better skilled to respond to a stressor than a civilian because they've been trained that way. So, when we see a fire, many people are running out the other door. But there are certain people in our lives that are trained to look at that stressor and learn how to um, manage their stress response so that way they can run toward the danger to help save lives. So that's a very extreme example. But something to keep in mind is that just because there's stressors around in our lives doesn't necessarily mean that we can't respond to it in a very healthy way. And uh, your local psychologist could help you with that if you need more um, one-on-one. Okay, let's go ahead and go to the next question, Jess. Go ahead and spin that wheel. Okay, these are really great questions. Here we go. Um, What is a open relationship? 
Okay, an open relationship. That is going to be based on what, you, what, what, what the people involved are defining it as. So it's a really good question because, you know, it, it could be very fluid to have an open relationship. So it's a good question to ask and to discuss with the other people, person or people involved in that relationship. An open relationship can be um, just from two people bring uh, bringing in a third or under certain circumstances bringing another person into their relationship. Typically, this involves in a more um, with more sexual behaviors. Uh, open relationships, um, the way I've seen it kind of play out is people want to try to squash any emotional intimacy by bringing in other parties to their relationship, um, but are open to having more sexual experiences with other people. So it's something to talk about very openly and very clearly as far as what are your comfort zones, what are the um, the barriers or, or um, guidelines that you guys want to stick to uh, to figure out if you are interested in an open relationship, what exactly would that look like for you and the people involved and um, kind of coming up with a, an agreement um, just like you would in any other relationship as far as what behaviors are okay and, and what are not. So very good question. I'm going to take that question and then throw it right back at you to make sure that you talk to your um, significant others about if you are interested in an open relationship, what exactly does that look like for you guys? All right, next question. Go ahead and spin that wheel, Jess. How far into a new relationship should the first sexual encounter be? All right, we have another sex question. How soon into the relationship should there be a sexual encounter? And guess what I'm going to say, people? It's up to you. You get to decide what you're comfortable with, both you and the person that you would be engaging in said sexual behaviors. So make sure that you talk about it. Definitely make sure that whatever you do decide is based on your personal comfort levels, not based on any kind of social cultural uh, pressure or pressure from um, the other person involved. So it's going to it's going to depend, you know, on what you feel comfortable with. And, And guess what? This can change. So in let's say your teen years or your young adult years, how soon you start um, engaging in a sexual encounter might be very different than when you're in your 30s, 40s, or 50s. Like It really just depends. And one week um, or one particular person might be a shorter duration than another person. It might take a little bit longer. So um, again, these decisions around sexuality and sexual behaviors um, are very um, personally based and can be very much circumstantial and can be fluid and you get to decide how far into relationship you feel comfortable having a sexual encounter and making sure that pay attention to where you want to be and then also pay attention to where um, your sexual partners um, feel comfortable as well. But definitely figure out what you want and assert yourself and set those boundaries as far as what's okay for you and what's not. All right, Jess, let's go ahead and do another question. 
Okay, let's, here we go. So my question is about falling in love. Is it uh, something that you actually choose to do and you work towards it by putting in effort and a lot of thinking? Or is it something that happens to you by chance? Is it something that you don't actually choose? It's just like some kind of chemistry that happens with another person. I love this person's question and we could do a whole show on this one as well, but we have just a couple minutes. So it's um, a little bit more of a philosophical question, isn't it? Falling in love, is it something to that you choose to do or is it by chance? Um, is it something that's dependent on your mindset? And you know what? it's going to be a little bit of both. I mean, there's research that's showing us that like, hey, our brain, as we've talked about before in the show, goes through a flood of biochemical cocktail um, when we meet and hang out with somebody that we're attracted to. Now, this um, brain response isn't going to happen with every single person you meet, right? So there is something about particular people that sets off this kind of reaction in our brain. Um, and... For some people, it happens right away. And for other people, it's like, hey, you guys were friends since forever. And then all of a sudden, you're starting to feel more love and intimacy toward that person, more attraction. So um, it's going to be a little bit both. It's going to be a little bit of uh, biochemistry. And it's also going to be a little bit of where you are at in your life um, and where your values are, because some... Uh, some way that, that you might be looking at people um, in your teenager 20s is going to be very different than a way that you might be looking at people um, in your 30s, 40s, 50s, right? So you're probably not going to be attracted to the same type of person in your 50s that you were in your 20s because you might be having that different mindset of looking for something different or you know yourself a little bit better. So um, you know what works for you and what doesn't. That's going to impact how how much attraction you feel toward that person. I'd also like to make a note, um, coming from the psychological perspective, there's something called attachment style that we focus on a lot. And we also do talk about those early years, those early experiences we have as, as young people. And what we do end up seeing in relationships as adults is we keep on trying to work through this narrative that we were given when we were young. And so you do start to see people as adults trying to work through those narratives in their intimate relationships by kind of picking the same pattern of people that may reflect people from their younger years. Um, and they're trying to work out these relationships um, that they've had with like, let's say they've had a... Um, an absentee parent. And then they start dating lots of people in their adult years that are very absent in their lives. So something to look at. And that's something a psychologist can help you work through. But definitely uh, take a look at attachment styles as well, because that also plays a role. All right. So we have time for one more question during our very special speed round of random questions. Uh, Jess, please spin that wheel. Okay, here we go for the final spin. So when a person thinks that they might have a really severe mental illness, but they're not really sure like how to go about treatment because they've read things online and they're not really sure that they do have it, what are first steps that they can take to like um, confirm a diagnosis or like get help for what they might actually have? 
This is such a great question. And again, we're going to have to do a whole show on severe mental illness. Um, it's There's a lot going on there. People tend to associate severe mental illness with um, schizophrenia. And that is one disorder under this umbrella of severe mental illness or SMI. There's a whole... Um, bunch of other types of dis- of mental health disorders that, that can be considered severe mental illness. And when we're talking about this se- uh, severity level, we're talking about people that not only do they struggle with um, functioning in some area of their life, but in this case, it's typically that they're functioning across like all domains of their lives to the point where they are at harm to themselves or at risk of harm to themselves or to others. Um, and that's a case where um, some of your community agencies may need to get involved to see if does this person require um, psychiatric treatment and hospitalization just to protect themselves or, or others. So this is a very severe um, circumstance. And I appreciate the person that is looking out for, um, for some help and, and they're right, you know, there's a lot of information out there. So I would like to direct your attention to mentalhealthamerica.net. They have screening tools. So their mental health screening tools will allow a person to take a mental health screening, um, online. And there's a depression test an anxiety test, a bipolar test, post-traumatic stress disorder, eating disorder, psychosis, uh, even a parent test, addiction, uh, work health, and then a youth test. So uh, it breaks down each one of them so you could figure out like which one should you start with. Uh, The youth test is for young people age 11 through 17 who are concerned that their emotions, attention, or behaviors might be signs of a problem. And this will help guide people to understand a little bit more about what's going on. Is it something that's just like, hey, yeah, we all struggle with stuff. Um, This is just one of those things for you. Or is it at that level of severity where it may be considered a a disorder? Um, Or is it even further along in the in, in the, the severity level where there's recommendation for hospitalization just to make sure that you could get everything you need um, and, and that you are safe and well. So take a look at this. I'll offer a link to this on our website and you could take one of those surveys. And you know what, if if you're just not sure, talk, talk to a psychologist. I mean, uh, they're, even your medical doctors, you could let them know that you have some concerns about your, your mental health and um, they could provide a screener for you. Um, your psychiatrist can, um, and then definitely your 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 local psychologist can as well. And they'll work with you to figure out what's going on and and um, find out if there is an actual uh, di- diagnosis there. Um, a lot of people feel concerned about getting this diagnosis or label on them, and I, I want to reassure people that there's a couple of reasons why um, psychologists and psychiatrists, mental health professionals need to do that. Um, In many cases, number one, it's it's for um, insurance purposes. Um, So that way um, they could bill the services and you don't have to pay for them and insurance knows uh, what's going on. Another reason is to um, inform your treatment plans, right? When you go to a medical uh, professional and... um, 
you're experiencing these physical symptoms, you want to know like, what the heck is going on? Um, why, why is this happening to my body? Please give me some kind of diagnosis so I can know, so I know what we can do. Same thing in mental health. You, you don't want to keep on seeing a mental health professional and just kind of sitting in talking for forever. Um, aimlessly, right? You want to have an understanding of first what's going on so that way it can inform the treatment that you're going through. So uh, a diagnosis can be a scary concept. Um, Some people feel like it's a label or stigmatizing, but I do want to reassure that um, it just helps inform your treatment and making sure that you're getting everything that you need um, so that way whatever's going on can be... um, reduced, uh, can be treated, and um, can potentially just go into remission, right? So definitely check out Mental Health America. Other resources that I I recommend are psychologytoday.com. You can um, go on there to just punch in your zip code. You find out who are the psychologists. You even have social workers on there, um, marriage and family therapists, counselors on there. and you could even pick out what are there certain things or specialties that you might want them to focus in on. Um, so today we had the opportunity to share an example of how mental health can address sex in a relationship, um, talk, go over sleep issues, stress, um, relationship boundaries, and kind of figuring that out, um, and even all the way through to severe mental illness. So regardless of what you're experiencing in your life, um, it doesn't have to be to the severity of severe mental illness in order to receive mental health treatment. It could be something like relationship issues or kind of figuring out your dating life. Um, and I hope that this special episode of our speed round of random questions help you get a little taste of what it's like to check in with a psychologist and learn from them and everything that they learned. I mean, we're in school for in graduate years, at least five to eight years, some of us, and that's after four years of um, undergraduate work. So put us to use. Did you hear something on the show today that you relate to on a personal level? Share your story. Send us your recording on witandreason.com and we may be able to post it on our speed round show page to help others navigate the fascinating world of mental health. A special thank you to DC Radio. And of course, thank you all for listening. Stay posted on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Wit and Reason and DC Radio for our next show. I'm Dr. Alexis Moreno. Let's keep the conversation going. You've been listening to Wit and Reason with psychologist Dr. Alexis Moreno. For more information, visit witandreason.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.